Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. All right, so as you know, the Cowboys now have quarterback Trey Lance. Clarence Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram tweeted this yesterday. For those who made a big deal about the Cowboys not informing Mike McCarthy before making the trade for Lance, uh, Clarence, I love you, but that is a big deal. McCarthy has no problem with it. I was involved in the evaluation and uh, the actual business component of it. I am not involved. Those decisions come down to Jerry and Stephen Jones. Okay, fine. But one of them said on Saturday night that McCarthy wasn't told that they were doing this and Dak wasn't told that they were doing it. And I wrote about this yesterday. We talked about it yesterday. We played the Jerry Jones clip. It's obvious to me that this is some sort of clumsy, awkward protection against Dak telling them the only way you're reducing my $55 million or $59 million cap charge in 2024 is to make me the highest paid player in football, even if he's not the best player in football right now. He's got the leverage to do it. They need a plan B. It's that simple. So McCar- McCarthy has no problem with it because what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to vent? Right. Is he going to start knocking over tables and throwing books for the media about how mad he is with the guy who signs his check and who has the power to fire him? Of course not. If he's mad about it, he's going to keep it in-house. That's a responsible thing to do. He's not going to tell us he's mad about it. So let's not be naive, people. Just because he says he's okay with it doesn't mean he's okay with it. I don't know that I would really be okay with somebody taking away my third-string quarterback that I worked with all offseason, you know, and that the quarterback's room likes, right, in theory of just – importing this guy who did not work out as a number three overall pick for another team. And now we've got to kind of train him and maybe build him up into something when like, okay. I mean, like, I guess that's something we can do, but it's not like there are any real snaps to be had once you start getting into the regular season. So 
I would not necessarily be the happiest about this just based on what the situation is right now for the Dallas Cowboys who have high aspirations and they should. I mean, they've gone 12 and five in the last two seasons. You know, they were a a team that, and they are a team, I think that could end up, you know, making a deep playoff run. So I don't necessarily know that bringing in a guy like Trey Lance really helps them right now. Because if you get into an emergency situation, who would you rather have? Will Greer, who has been there, or Trey Lance, who has not? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Yeah, and I think if Mike McCarthy had a vote, had a say, had the power to make the decision, he would have said, let's just stick with what we currently have. Why do we want to take the chance of reconfiguring the dynamics of the quarterback room right now we we talked yesterday about how much Dak loves Will Greer why are you taking away a guy that Dak Prescott loves and trusts and putting him in a position where he's got a stranger a guy he doesn't know they may get along great it may work out well but maybe it won't why do you want notoriously conservative NFL and I don't mean in political sense I mean in the let's never change anything we like it the way it is why do we next man up we don't want Colin Kaepernick we want next man up. We, want, we don't want somebody new. We want next man up. Well, you got next man up, and he's got a relationship with your quarterback, and you just ripped him right off of the roster, as I said yesterday, with the not-so-subtle message, hey, Dak, that's what you get for not redoing your contract this offseason and reducing your cap number next year so we can have some certainty about our roster and we will have the money around to pay Michael Parsons. That's what you get. If you would have just I, redone I, your contract, we wouldn't have had to do this. And it's not even that, you know, Wilger is going to play, but we don't know what the dynamics of that quarterback room are, right? We don't know if there are things that Greer sees that he can, you know, look at on film and pass along to Dak and say, hey, man, maybe you want to look at it this way. And maybe that helps Dak as a starting quarterback. I mean, those those little things, those little subtle things are really important, I think, just in the dynamic of a team and a football team overall. So it's not the easiest thing to transition from one guy to the next. And it's not the biggest deal, but I don't think it's a nothing burger, right? When you're taking away one guy that Dak Prescott professes love for, and then you're putting in another person who he doesn't know and is a stranger, like you said. It's, it's just reshuffling the cards at a time when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You've already got your deck arranged. You know what it's going to be. You're trying to build on what you've done the last two years. You'd like to beat the 49ers in the postseason. Everybody needs to be rowing in that direction. What are we doing grabbing an oar and throwing it overboard and putting in a new oar and just hoping for the best? That It makes no sense. It makes yeah. no sense. Other than to give the Cowboys some sort of weird ace in the hole in the event that Dak Prescott next year puts them in a position where they have to choose between him and Michael Parsons. We talked about the wild card. That's not something we didn't. (laughs) Is that really an ace? That ain't an ace. That's a wild card. Yeah, it's true. It's not an ace. It's not an ace. Yeah. It's the, uh, what was the card that, that uh, Aaron Rodgers was it the eight of diamonds when O's Perlman guessed the card that he had because it was a magic trick. Okay. Something yeah. we didn't mention yesterday. Don't get me started on uh, the Fugazi mentalist. Uh, what, what, what oh, boy. <laughs> Hello, O's. Fugazi, Fugazi. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, uh, 
Jerry Jones said something on Saturday night. We didn't talk about it yesterday. I wrote something about it at PFT. He said so many things. Anytime he talks, he says so many things. Shereen yeah, is drawn to those so Cowboys things. home games like a magnet because because Jerry Jones just says a lot of stuff, man. And some of it, some of it you don't really appreciate in the moment. You got to swing back around to it. Here he is talking about as he tries to explain why they made the play for Trey Lance, talking about a move they almost made a few years ago for a certain quarterback who has become one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. Have a listen. I think uh, had we been able to uh, draft him with next year's four, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the kind of talent he was in this draft, like I just told you two years ago, we were looking at uh, uh, Philadelphia quarterback, I'm not going to call any names, but looking at him, uh, had he fallen to us there, we would have drafted him. Uh, it is our plan when we can, but it very seldom happens to have someone of a, of a, a high enough quality uh, to be there at the right place with our draft pick. Uh, this one worked, and so we're excited about it. I'm really glad Jerry Jones didn't call any names when he referred to the Philadelphia quarterback because now we're left to try to figure out who it is. Could it be Ron Jaworski, Randall Cunningham, Carson Wentz, Donovan McNabb, Sam Bradford? <laughs> Nick Foles. <laughs> Don't call any names. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Cobb. Uh, Gardner Minshew. Um, so, I, and what what I thought was – so intriguing about that beyond the fact that it's kind of a tampering violation to even say that although the nfl only cares about tampering that one time every five years where it decides to whack somebody for tampering and they're not gonna they're surely not gonna do anything about that because they did their tampering punishment for the decade last year with sean payton and tom brady when the dolphins tried to sign them and this is a kind of a harmless comment but technically technically he shouldn't be saying it when you consider what was going on in 2020 He said a couple of years ago, it wasn't 2021, it was 2020. And they could have had him. They took Trayvon Diggs two spots before the Eagles took Jalen Hurts. And it would have been 29 more spots for Hurts to be around if the Cowboys really thought about taking Jalen Hurts in 2020. But in 2020, the Cowboys had applied the franchise tag to Dak Prescott after not signing him to a long-term deal following his third NFL season not signing him to a long-term deal or not planning to after his fourth. They used the franchise tag. And then the next year, that's when they realized, we're kind of screwed here. We better give this guy the contract he wants. If they'd had Jalen Hurts, what would he have been with three years left on his rookie contract? He would have been insurance against Dak driving too hard of a bargain. What insurance did they have in 2021? They had Cooper Rush. That wasn't nearly the kind of insurance policy you would need to have the kind of leverage necessary to keep Dak from taking full advantage of a situation you created by waiting too long to sign this guy and give him the contract he deserves. So the reference to the Philadelphia quarterback actually bolsters my point that this Trey Lance thing isn't about developing some guy. They only got him for two years. They only got him for two freaking years. You're not developing a guy with two years. This is about having... A wild card up your sleeve, not an ace, in the event that you need something to push back against Dak trying to get $55 million a year when they're desperate to chop down his $59 million cap number after the season, Miles. Yeah, I think it's interesting just the idea of using a fourth-round pick because I, I, 
I mean, I kind of feel like that's what Jerry Jones is implying that, you know, if he had fallen to the third or fourth round or whatever, then that's when they would have picked him. I mean, because obviously they could have had him, right? As you pointed out, they drafted Diggs, who was a good pick. I mean, it's not like they should have any regrets over drafting Diggs there. I mean, he led the league with, you know, 11 or whatever it was interceptions in, in 2021. So it's not like that was bad what they did, but um, what you, what you do is you draft a guy when you have a, a, a pick in the middle of the round, right? Or mid rounds. And you think, well, maybe this guy can turn into something. And that's kind of what they did with Dak Prescott, right? That he was a fourth round pick out of Mississippi state really fell to the fourth round because he had uh, the pre-draft issue off the field incident that then let him fall that far down. But, Still, when you take a flyer on that guy in the fourth round and he turns into Dak Prescott, it maybe puts in your mind like, hey, that's where we should take our quarterback because you never know how that guy is going to turn out and develop and all these different types of things. So I think if you think of it that way and it's like, all right, well, we could have we got Dak for a fourth round pick. You know, if we're thinking about a draft and we would use a fourth round pick on a quarterback then it makes sense to use one for Trey Lance, who's been in the league for a couple of years. And, you know, we'll see what happens if he can develop over the next couple of years with us. I, I, I guess that kind of makes sense, but it doesn't make it not what you're saying, where, you know, it's some sort of insurance plan against whatever may or may not happen with Dak Prescott. It's just a way of thinking about it that I guess makes sense with the way Jerry Jones is thinking about it. Another thing that struck me as odd, they reportedly had a second-round grade. I don't know if they said this. I know I saw a report to that effect, second-round grade on Trey Lance in 2021. Okay, you got a second-round grade on a guy who went third overall. You're picking up the back end of the contract he got for going third overall, slotted, $6.3 million over two years. And what's he done in the past two years to validate second round grade, first round grade, any round grade? It's just odd to me that they would make this move for a guy that they didn't think more highly of when he was coming out. Because that would be the reason to go get him. We loved him. We loved him. We had a first round grade on him. I mean, at least lie about it and say it was a first round grade because it makes the trade more plausible. Oh, this is a guy we would have used a first-round pick on two years ago. Yeah, we'll gladly give up a four. But a two, two years ago, and you're picking up the back end of the third overall picks contract, it just makes it seem even stranger to me. I I just get the impression that they have been. Here's my bottom line. Final Mm -hmm. answer. They have been so freaked out by what they know is coming after this year with Dak Prescott, that this opportunity popped up onto the edge of the radar screen and they just took it without even thinking it through. They just saw a potential lifeline from this disaster that is looming where Dak is on the books for $59 million next year and Micah Parsons is going to be kicking in the door, screaming for his money, which he deserves every penny of and then some, and they don't know what to do. So... Let's just do something so we feel like we have a potential strategy when it's time to go take our medicine with Dak Prescott's $59 million cap charge that we created, that we baked into the contract that we had to give him because we waited too long. That is the 
final and clearest message to every team, and I'm talking to you, Minnesota Vikings, as you're screwing around with Justin Jefferson's contract, the longer you wait, the worse it's going to get, and the greater the chance that that great player you would very much like to keep is somebody you're not going to be able to keep. All because you waited too long to give him what he's earned. Well, not not just Justin Jefferson. I mean, they, Joe Burrow, right? I mean, I know that because of the calf injury, he's kind of not been top of mind. But Justin Jefferson, as Justin Jefferson, Justin Herbert got his money, you know? And so to me, the logical thing was, all right, well, I guess Joe Burrow, that kind of clears the runway for Joe Burrow. And for whatever reason, that thing still has not happened. So, I mean... I think it behooves the Cincinnati Bengals to get that thing done before the start of the regular season. And there's still, you know, a couple of weeks to, to have that happen, but it's still, it's one of those situations where you're looking at it and you're like, Hey, Bengals, it's time, you know, pony up, look at what he's done for your franchise. And he has made it very clear in uh, you know, on the record press conferences, you know, they know what I want. So I mean, I, I I understand that there's a dynamic of negotiation at play, but at a certain point, it's like, y'all, like, let give that dude what he wants, man. You got to get this done because the longer you wait, the more painful it's going to be for you. We need to take a break, but something I just thought of, and this is a thread I'm going to maybe pull a little more aggressively in an item that I'll write at PFT unless I forget. Before the Herbert deal, Joe Burrow was waiting for Herbert. So he would mm-hmm. know what he needs to to beat because clearly Burrow better than Herbert. Sorry, Justin, we love you, but Burrow's more accomplished. Burrow's that stone cold place playoff postseason killer who you know he's the Mahomes. Yes. He's the only he's Mahomes kryptonite. So he deserves more than Justin Herbert. Well, not last year. I can't help but wonder. I can't help Burrow deserves more than Herbert. Right, right. But right. Yes, it yes, it yes, wasn't yes, his yes, fault. Yes. It was he tried. He did his best. He At did. least he tried. It was a heavyweight fight. But I can't help but wonder whether or not Burrow is now waiting to see what Mahomes gets before week one because there's still a thought out there Mahomes is getting a reconfigured contract before week one. And what helps Burrow is if he's not ready to play week one, he can wait for week one to come and go because the time to do it is before it's time to go out there and take on the physical risk of something happening and changing the circumstances. So maybe Burrow at this point, let's just wait until I'm ready to play. Let's just wait. No harm in waiting. I'm not in any physical risk until I step onto the, to the football field or the practice field. So let's just wait and let's see if Mahomes gets a new deal. Then I'll try to beat that one. And we'll mm-hmm. go back to the bargaining table with the Bengals toward that end. So that may be why we haven't seen anything yet. But again, until he plays, and I've said he should not set foot on a practice field or a game field until he gets his contract, and until that, that's several weeks, which means several weeks, according to Zach Taylor, until that injury's healed, it's not relevant. All right, let's take a break. The deadline to cut the roster to 53 is this afternoon, but some surprising moves are already happening. We'll discuss some of them next here on this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. 
The few, the proud, the Marines. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Jack's American Pub in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin, has a deal for you. When the Jets lose, you win. We will pay your drink tab when the Jets lose. With an asterisk on there, there are provisions and conditions that apply. Also, please drink responsibly. But uh, they're going to be rooting against Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. Why not just rally around the Packers? I know that you need a gimmick, you need a gadget, you need something to get people to come into your bar and watch the games, and it also only applies when the Packers aren't playing. So this is an effort to fill your bar on days and at times when there isn't a Packers game, and uh, if the Jets lose, if Aaron Rodgers is starting and the Jets lose, they'll pay your tab. Of course, if the Jets win, you're stuck with your, your, uh, your bar bill. But it starts on Monday night, September 11th. Packers aren't playing that night. Go to Jack's American Pub, drink responsibly, and if the Bills win, and if you comply with all other terms and conditions, Jack's will be picking up your drink tab. Not, not, not paying for your fried cheese curds, not paying for your buffalo wings, not paying for your hoagies and your pizza and whatever else you may order, just your drinks. But mm. as anyone who goes to any bar knows, drinks aren't cheap. Well, they're cheaper in Milwaukee than they are out here, man. <laughs> you know, this is one of those situations where I, I walk into the bar and it's like, oh, you know, you're paying your tab at the end of the night. And you're like, wait, did you get all of my drinks? And they're like, of course we did. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I love Milwaukee. And then, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I guess that's why. Because, you know, you're living in Milwaukee. Not that Milwaukee's bad. I like Milwaukee. It's got a nice little river walk. But, you know, it's not uh, by the yeah. beach. Too late. Anyway. You already insulted Milwaukee. You're trying to oh. you're trying to rebuild after you've insulted Milwaukee. Poor Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee. I've never been to Milwaukee, but I can tell that. I've had, I a nice, I've had nice times in Milwaukee. Where... I love a good brat. I love a good brat. I really do. Sauerkraut. Yes, absolutely. Brown mustard. Boom. Put it on there, baby. I love it. I uh, I love Milwaukee because that was where the legendary show Happy Days was set. Milwaukee, oh. the Cunninghams of Milwaukee. Um, all right. A trade happened at some point in the past few hours. The Chiefs have sent receiver Emir Smith-Marset to the Carolina Panthers. Emir Smith-Marset almost made an appearance on yesterday's show as one of the preseason MVPs because I thought this is a guy. Oh. This is a guy who's playing well, shot out of a cannon for a long touchdown against the Browns, had that on last night when we were down in the barn for the fantasy draft, had all four TVs with 
pre-recorded preseason games. And some of the guys are like, hey, are they playing these now? It's like, no, I just there's nothing else on. There's no sports on tonight. Here's Here you go. It's just for the yes. ambiance. Preseason football. Enjoy it. But I saw Amir Smith-Marset doing some great things. He had over 100 receiving yards in that game. So not enough space for him on the Chiefs roster. He gets traded to Panthers for a conditional 2025 seventh-round pick. They exchanged conditional 2025 seventh-round picks. I mean, that's, 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 that is the ham sandwich of NFL trades. But Marset had nine catches for 195 yards and two touchdowns in three preseason games. So I... You know, I I was intrigued by what I saw him do in the preseason, but I was concerned there wasn't going to be a spot for him in Kansas City. Now there might be a spot for him, Miles, in Carolina. Well, this is kind of what we were talking about earlier at the top of the show, right, where you have guys that may not fit on your 53-man roster or on your plans for the practice squad, but you show them off in a preseason game, and hey, look what happens. The Panthers come calling. They've got some uh, injuries at receiver that they have been dealing with, so that's why you bring somebody in like this, maybe gives you a little bit of depth there on the back end of the roster um, at receiver, and so that gives you a little bit more flexibility. But yeah, I mean, when somebody shows off in the preseason like this and they get another opportunity, you're happy for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the Panthers trying to turn things around. They get a guy who, hey, instead of having to claim him on waivers and Mm -hmm. risk that chance that somebody else is going to take him, you get him, you don't give up much for him, and now you add him to your team and you see what can happen. They do have some injured receivers between DJ Chark, Terrace Marshall, and LaVisca Chenault, so they've got some need. And Smith-Marset's a guy who who he flashed in the the preseason, and uh, maybe he can make something happen. This one was surprising to me because – He's been available for a while now, and nobody had made the move. Former Colts cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rogers, who is out of the NFL for at least a full year, can reapply, I believe, in February. The Eagles have signed him. Now, obviously, he goes straight to the suspended list, but they have his rights, much like the Jaguars acquired via trade the rights to Calvin Ridley during his gambling-related suspension. Rogers suspended for gambling. Eagles now have him under contract for whenever he's able to. To return, And he didn't have to agree to the contract. And I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what he's allowed to do by way of interaction with the Eagles while he's on this suspension. There's an argument to be made. Why not just wait? But you know what? If somebody wants to put you on a team and you feel like you're part of something, that connection may be the thing that helps you get through this suspension. You got something to look forward to. You know they're yeah. waiting for you. You stay in shape. You're ready to go. You get cleared and you go join a pretty damn good football team. Yeah, I mean, it's a good situation for Isaiah Rogers. I mean, whenever you're talking about potentially joining one of the top teams in one of the two conferences, yeah, I think that that does make a difference. But, I mean, Mike, is there any guarantee that he's going to be back next year? I mean, what he was accused of doing when it comes to sports betting is, like, very serious stuff. Like, beyond what Calvin Ridley was doing. So, is there a possibility that he misses more than one season, do you think? Well, potentially, you know, this is all uncharted territory for the NFL and they can ultimately do whatever they want to do. They have not banished him for life, but they could decide not to reinstate him after one year. It feels like based on precedent, though, he'll be back after one year, assuming he doesn't have any further violations and he does whatever the NFL wants him to do. But for the Eagles, it's a it's a flyer. It's simple. And, uh, you know, they presumably have done their due diligence and the good news for Isaiah Rogers is it does give him something that he can point to on the calendar as he works his way through this suspension 
and hopes that he can get back to the league. And he's good enough to get back in. He's, he's not a guy that you just say he's done with football and football is done with him. And I like the fact that there's some compassion out there for this guy who, yeah. you know, he, hey, the one, the one thing the gambling policy doesn't take into account is you may have guys who show up in the NFL who have an addiction. And what, what, what are you doing to identify those guys and treat them? Are you just sitting back and waiting for them to violate the policy and then you're going to throw them out to the wilderness? Or are you going to try to intervene and help them when at the college level no one knew what they were doing, no one spotted what they were doing, no one tried to help the kid? Let's try to help these guys if they have an addiction. Let's help them cure it and let's move forward instead of just sitting back and waiting for the opportunity to swoop in and pounce on somebody and then be able to say, see, we enforce our policies aggressively and even-handedly and without fear or favor or whatever other crap they want to say. Let's help these guys. Let's understand there may be some guys who have a problem, just like it was the attitude they used to have against marijuana and other drugs. Mm -hmm. Guys may have an issue. Instead of helping them, they're looking for ways to catch them and cast them out into the the non-football world. All right, one more. You mentioned this earlier. And I know that you were very happy about this, even though a man has now lost his livelihood. Cade York out eventually in Cleveland after the trade that brings Dustin Hopkins from the L.A. Chargers to the Cleveland Browns. York was a fourth-round pick last year, missed two field goal attempts uh, back, what was it, in the— he missed two against the Eagles. He had one partially blocked. How many did he miss against the Chiefs? Was it just that one that was partially blocked well, that would have been the game winner? He also missed an extra point that didn't count because of a running into the kicker penalty, and then the Browns went for two. So it doesn't technically score up on, show up on the score sheet, but everybody saw it, much like the one he missed against the Eagles from, you know, they called it 47, but it should be 46, whatever it was, and then it ends up being 41. See here, this is the one he missed from 47. They had a penalty. They moved it up five yards, and it somehow became a 41-yard field goal. Again, that math doesn't really math for me. And then he misses it again the other way as he overcorrects, right? So that's technically only one missed field goal, but we all watched two. So this is why the Browns just could not trust him in this situation. And, you know, you're like, oh, you, you're so happy. And, you know, even though a man lost his livelihood, like I do, I do have compassion for this guy. I'm, you know, I'm, he's I'm a young just, player. Just, it was a he's joke. a young kicker. It was a callback. I know. It was a callback to something we discussed last hour. I wasn't serious yeah. about it, Miles. Well, I, I know, but I'm just, I knew you were joking, but I am clarifying for the audience's sake here that I, I, I do have some empathy for someone who is just trying to do their job and is failing. And like, you know, you, you can't really figure out why, because you're making your kicks in practice, but it is a results-based business, right? And when you're a kicker and you have one job, and that's to go out there and make your damn kicks and you're not making the kicks and the Browns need to be able to trust their kicker it makes sense that they had to move on. So Dustin Hopkins, veteran guy, reliable, you know, got hurt last year in the Monday night football game um, against the Denver Broncos at SoFi Stadium. So the reason that he doesn't have a job anymore is because Cameron Dicker came in and he was reliable. So it's not like Hopkins is unreliable. That's why the Browns made the trade. They have a new kicker and their kicking situation should be better. The good kickers make the process look much easier than it really is. And I think it's incredibly easy to slip out of that sweet spot you need to be in to go out there and make your kicks. And look, the idea of kicking a field goal or an extra point, it's one thing to have a ball on a tee. You know, you go down to your local high school field, you put the ball on the tee, you run up to it, and you kick it through the uprights from 35 yards, and you think you can be a kicker. 
I think that we undersell how hard it is when when your your target isn't there. When like as you start into your motion, your target isn't there. Your target appears and gets put there as you are in the process of striking your target. Very difficult to do. And then you have to hit it straight and true. And it's amazing how they make the ball. I mean, you can see it's like they almost control it where it goes. It starts one way and it comes back. It looks easier than it is. And it is very easy to not to not be a consistently good kicker. And now now that wake-up call will allow Cade York to go somewhere else and become the next Daniel Carlson where he's kicking 62 yarders and he's one of the more consistent kickers in all of football because there's nothing yeah. like that that pink slip to wake a guy up, which may happen for Cade York. We're going to take a break. Sure. When we return... As Matthew Stafford becomes the second oldest starting quarterback in the NFL, he is having trouble relating to the whippersnappers in the locker room. We'll discuss what that may mean for Matthew Stafford's football future when PFT Live continues right after this. PFT Live Tuesday edition. Matthew Stafford, 35 years old, second oldest starting quarterback in the NFL. Now that Tom Brady's gone, it doesn't take as much as it used to to be one of the oldest quarterbacks in the NFL. Matt, uh, Aaron Rodgers is the oldest at 39. Stafford's 35. He's trailed just by Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins and soon-to-be 35-year-old Russell Wilson. Believe that one. That one's a tough one to come to terms with. Anyway, Kelly Stafford, Matthew's wife, has a podcast, and she recently spoke about issues – that Stafford is having connecting with the younger players who are populating the locker room. Have a listen to what Kelly Stafford had to say. He's like, I feel like I can't connect because in the old days, you would come out of come out of practice, you'd shower. This is during training camp. Shower. People would be playing cards. People would be interacting. Who knows what they're doing? You know, but they're they're doing something together. They're playing ping pong. They have a a tournament going on. Doing something. You know, like. They're at least talking. He said now they get done with practice or get done with meetings during training camp and they go straight to their phones. Like no one looks up from their phone. So Matthew was like, I don't even know how to, like, do I, am I the dad? Do I take the phones? Like, what do I do here? I mean, they're, and he's like, I want them to see me as like, not as like a, I don't know, he's like as the a coach, you know, he feels like they say like sir to him and He's like, no, 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 we're on the same level here. We're both playing in this league. Like, let me get to know you. But he said it's so different and so hard to get to know these guys. He had a book printed out. He asked his equipment, or I think it was his equipment guys, right? Do you have a book printed of all the guys' faces and their names? Because he's like, I don't, I need to know their names. I feel like we don't ever talk. So now I'm going to find their names and I'm going to know and I'm going to be like, Hey, so and so, how was your weekend? Like, I'm gonna so that they know that I know them, and maybe we should get to know each other. Like, so there's some chemistry on the field. Now, I, I think that's an important point, big picture, because you need to have chemistry on the field. You need to know your teammates. You need to be comfortable with the guys that you are dealing with. And I've always thought that Matthew Stafford is kind of a reluctant leader. He's never really wanted to be a leader in that classic sense. I remember when Reggie Bush suggested they have a team meeting in Detroit. At one point, and Bush, you know, he comes in with a Super Bowl ring, and Matthew Stafford's like, nah, we don't need a team meeting. It's like, I'd kind of defer to Reggie Bush on this, Matthew. Like, let's step up and take care of what needs to be taken care of. But as I listen to what she had to say, I mean, first of all, is he 70 or is he 35? That's my first question. And secondly, 
why are you expecting them to adapt to you? Maybe you need to adapt to them. That's how people communicate now. So get their phone numbers and start texting them, right? Isn't that the easy solution? Don't try to expect I mean, them to change what is what they are now doing. Infiltrate their their way of taking in the world. If they're only communicating in their phones, then communicate with them, get to know them by text message. It's not that hard. I I I struggle with what to make of these comments because it, to me it's like a dude who's kind of venting to his wife about stuff that was going on at work and now it's been put on blast because she has a podcast. Oh, that's a and, different issue. You know, now yeah, that's a, that's it, a different issue altogether. Inevitably... I have a feeling he may not be happy with this. Well, I, I, happy or not, I, I just I, I I don't know. You know, like how much of this is really true? Because look, look, everybody needs a sort of like this is what they actually used to call it, like a Facebook, not you know as we know it as a social media site, but like literally a book full of faces, so that you understand who different people are. I mean, that's not something that's unheard of we used to get them in that building when all the rookies would come in so that we knew who the faces were so that they understood who like they could understand who we are and you know all that so like that's not i don't know I, that doesn't come off to me as something that's that weird i, I but it's like I, yeah i just i struggle with what to make of that because i i don't know really that he like how much is he really struggling you know like what we don't really know exactly what he's been doing and now we're going to because now he's going to be asked about it because it is now a national story and we're talking about it right so eventually matthew stafford's gonna have a press conference and he's going to have to address these comments that were made by his wife that you know she has the absolute right to have a podcast and i'm not saying that she doesn't but yeah it's just I don't know how much of this is really Matthew Stafford can't relate to young players. And it's like, or like Matthew Stafford was like, had a tough day with it one day. And then he's like, man, you know, this is something that's frustrating me at work. And now it's a national story. And like, I don't, I kind of don't know how fair that is. Like how much did he struggle to relate to Cooper cup? Right. I mean, I know Cooper cup is only five years younger than him, even though Cooper cup got in the league in 2017 and Stafford got in there in 2009. So that's a little ironic, but still it's like, it's not like those two guys didn't have chemistry on the field when Cooper Cup had one of the best receiving seasons for a player of all time two years ago. So I don't know. Like that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, obviously he will be asked about it. I assume he'll be asked about it. We'll see what he has to say. And he'll downplay it. And look, when you have a podcast, you want it to be entertaining, you want it to be engaging, and maybe there's some embellishment. It's not like he entered the NFL in 1989. We had iPhones in 2009. People have had their faces stuck in their phones for a while now. This isn't some new dynamic that just popped up this year. And I said earlier, and this is one of the benefits of kind of talking these things through, I said earlier that if he's got an issue with how the players are interacting with him or otherwise, he needs to infiltrate their communication devices and text them and get to know them that way. The other thing, too, is, I mean, think about what Peyton Manning would do. Because you heard Kelly Stafford say, you know, what is he going to be like their dad and tell them to put their phones down? Peyton Manning would walk in and say, hey, put your damn phones down and let's have a conversation. Put your phone away. And Peyton Manning could pull it off. Tom Brady could pull it off. See, Matthew Stafford's never been that guy that goes into the room and starts telling people what to do. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm not that guy either. I try to lead by example. I don't like trying to tell people what to do. I don't like that because I don't like being told what to do. So if I get pissed off when somebody tells me what to do, I'm not inclined to tell anybody else what to do. You can relate to that. How often do I tell you what to do? 
I don't. You I don't. Subtle, I don't. I mean, I've got. I've got. Subtly, I've got certain you subtly do your ways. Quality standards. Like, <laughs> yes. Okay. I've got certain so things that, that I yes. like to be done a certain way, and I communicate with you directly. Certain I don't call things. you out on the whole thread as others would do. I. Yes, I, and I, and I, I do I appreciate try to, that. So, so shut yeah, up it's... about it. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know, Mike. I mean, I'm a generation younger than you. How how well do you feel like you can relate to me? <laughs> like this is this well, weird stuff. You know, well, like, I don't know. If you'd watch Back to the Future, we could relate a little bit better. Or if you knew who Mr. Oh, Plow see. was, we could relate a little bit better. <laughs> um, but you are aware of peaches yeah. and herbs, so I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll get yeah, out of exactly. here with that. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's weird. Aaron Rodgers doesn't uh, seem to be developing an itch on problem. my forehead. Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem to be having this problem with the Jets, you know. But maybe it's because all those guys really revere him in a way. I mean, like Matthew. You know Stafford, why? We all you know, know why? He is. Here's why. Here's why. Here, here, I'm. I am any Jets player under the age of 25. Aaron Rodgers comes in. That's why. And see, maybe that's the deeper issue here. Matthew Stafford has never been, never will be, never aspired to be that guy. He's not the sheriff. He's not the guy that they're going to spring to attention whenever he's around. They're not in awe of him. He's just a regular normal guy who happens to have a howitzer for an arm. That's who he is. He isn't interested in and isn't wired to embrace the other aspects of being a field general. And so, you know, he doesn't know what to do now. He doesn't know what to do now. Because Peyton Manning would walk in and say to those guys, put your damn phone down. Aaron Rodgers walks in and they throw the phone down. Matthew Stafford doesn't know what to do. He walks into the rock locker room and they don't even, they don't even flinch. And he's got to figure out know. how to deal with it. And the easy way to deal with it, unless you're going to start telling them, put your damn phone down, you get through their phones and you communicate with them that way. That, that would be my yeah. advice to Matthew Stafford if he's inclined to take it, and he would be wise not to. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. He now is a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, right? So it's not like he doesn't have the cachet that comes with that. And, and I mean, I've not been in that locker room on a day-to-day basis for years, so I don't really know how it operates, you know, it, it, you know, go, thinking about how it used to when Jared Goff was the quarterback when I was there day-to-day. But it just it, – it does. I, I, that's why it just – because I don't know what it's like day to day anymore. It's just, it strikes me as, you know, one day he comes home and he's talking about this stuff and it may not be as big of an issue as it sounds on that podcast. And it just, now it becomes a thing where it really wasn't that much of a thing. It's just, you know, one day he's like, man, this is really different. And now I have to find different ways to adapt and adjust. I don't, I don't know if it's if it goes quite to the extent that you're taking it. I, that's the way I see it. Oh. It's only on our radar screen because his wife decided to talk about it in a public forum. Yes, and by the way, exactly. by the way, another exactly. reason why an, an, another illustration of our generational divide is you're not familiar with Seinfeld. If you were, you would really enjoy what I'm about to say because when you say cachet, I think of Susan trying to tell George the name Seven has no cachet, and his response is, it's got cachet up the yin-yang. With that, we'll take a break. And when we return, we'll predict how the NFC East will play out in 2023. There you go. Play that music. More PFT Live right after this. (laughs) 
How about this one from Commander's coach Ron Rivera, speaking to Albert Breer of SI.com on Sam Howell as he played in the final game of the 2022 season. I kept saying, F, wonder what that word is. If I would have known this, I would have played him sooner. When you only have so much time to show it, it's hard. I kept thinking, God, but after that game, everything told me this kid, give him the opportunity and see what he does with it. That explains why Rivera was saying after the season, and he said it on our show at the Super Bowl, Sam is QB1. Now, there was a, a bit of equivocation that was always baked into that. As recently as a couple of weeks ago, there was a comment about Jacoby Brissett that made us say, well, was he really thinking about going with Brissett instead of Hal? But now they are all in, all in, Miles, on Sam Howell. And I think it's smart. Three years left on his rookie deal. I thought he would have been a first-round pick if he had entered the 2021 draft, waited a year, and fell. Maybe a great player has fallen into their laps. There's only one way to find out. You put him on the field and you play him like the 49ers didn't do. Of course, Trey Lance got injured last year, but you find out what the guy has. This is their chance to find out what Sam Howell has. Here's what I struggle with with that Ron Revere quote. You know, he says, if I had known. Why didn't you know? Isn't it your job to know? who the players are on your team and what they're capable of. Like, What weren't the offensive coaches saying to you about this stuff? And those offensive coaches aren't really there anymore. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Like, what do you mean if I had known? What were you struggling to know? Like, did you not realize what Carson Wentz was going to do when he got put back on the field and like Lulu down his leg? Like, what? did you not realize that Taylor Heineke was a limited player who you'd had for a few? I mean, like, what do you mean if I had known? That, that, I don't know. I, that, that, that comment, it just kind of well, rubs Miles, me the now, wrong way. But, but, but Miles, I, 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 I'm going to give Rivera a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. I think his point is if I had known how he was going to play in a game, in a game that counts, you don't know that until you put the guy out there. You just got to yeah. put the guy out there and see what he can do. He didn't put him out there because he's trying to get to the playoffs with some combination of the Frankenstein monster of Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke and Heineke actually had a good stretch remember he was getting new Jordans after every win or something like that I mean they were winning games they were doing so then why put back Carson Wentz in there when Carson Wentz stinks and we all knew Carson Wentz stunk and why not replace him it just it I don't know it's it's it that just speaks to me to a little bit of mismanagement you know and that that that's just what I get from that quote we got to get to our sort of NFC East preview, but do you think anybody's going to sign Carson Wentz? I mean, like if he was going to get signed, wouldn't he be signed by now? Yeah. Unless it's an, unless it's a dire emergency, uh, you know, like I, I, you know, there's a coach that he's familiar with, I guess. And like I said, dire emergency, maybe, but I, what would, would you sign him? What, for what, for to just to have, I mean, like, I don't know. It doesn't appeal to me. I, I would need, I would need to, I would need to be in desperate need of somebody to come in and play quarterback. And the problem is whatever I would offer him, he would not accept. All right. Um, so NFC East, let's do the bottom half of the division. Now we'll do the top half in the next segment. Who do you okay. think finishes in fourth place this year? This is only well, a binding answer if it is incorrect. Okay, perfect. So I'll just go with the commanders because I think that they are improved. I think their talent is improved. I think Sam Howell should be a better quarterback. I think Eric Bieniemy should be a better offensive coordinator. Jack Del Rio had that defense turned around. You know, they played as a top 10 unit last year. But I, I look at the rest of that division 
And I think most of the other teams have gotten better too. And to me, it would be, be between the Giants and the Commanders finishing in last place. And frankly, at this point, I, I've got a little bit more faith in what the Giants are doing and what they're putting together than I do with the Commanders. So, I mean, the Commanders could still be good. You know, yeah, they could be, you know, an eight, nine win team. But I think that that still may land them in last place in the division. I hate to be a, a prisoner of what happened last year but it's hard to forget what happened last year. I think the commanders could be significantly better. There's a great vibe around the team. I'm looking at the over-under win total, 6.5, 1,300, plus 1,300, obviously, to win the division. I feel like between the Cowboys and Giants, one of them is going to regress. I just feel like it's going to happen. But the Giants have gone out and made moves aimed at getting better. So between the two, the Cowboys are likely to regress. I'll still put the commanders in fourth. I, I, I want to pick one of the other teams, but the division is just too good. All right, so who do you have in third? Uh, I still have the Giants in third. And, you know, part of that is because the Eagles are a juggernaut. And frankly, I, I think the Cowboys are going to still be pretty good this year. And so, again, it's not like I'm trying to insult anybody because I think that this probably is the best division in the NFC. However, somebody's still got to finish in third place. And, you know, when you look at the other two quarterbacks that are, you know, the teams above, Daniel Jones would rank in third. So is Daniel Jones going to take that next step forward in the offense, right, where you think of him as a more dynamic passer? That's going to be one of the keys to the season for the New York Giants. Is Saquon Barkley going to go out there and replicate what he did last year and have a really, really strong year? That's going to be one of the keys for their offense. I I think Wink Martindale is going to do a great job with that defense. I don't think there's any question about that with his history, but I think that that still only puts them at third place in the division. I think the Cowboys will be in third place. And the thing that clinched it for me is this recent thing with Trey Lance and how it all happened so quickly and how it kind of disrupts the whatever they had going. I just think they're trying a little too hard. I feel like they're they're, they're holding the rope a little too tight as they pull. And and Mike McCarthy's got extra duties now. And I think he's under more pressure than he would admit and than most realize. I, I feel like in a great division like that, it adds up to third because the Giants went out and they, they clearly made the team better. Darren Waller, I think, is going to be incredibly good yeah. for them this year if he stays healthy. If he stays healthy. So I think it's going to be the Cowboys in third place. Let's take a break. We'll tell you who we think is going to be in second and first place, although you can probably discern it from what we've already said. We'll do it anyway. PFT Live continues right after this. All right. Miles and I both have the commander's in fourth place when the dust settles on the NFC East. I went with the Cowboys in third place. Miles went with the Giants in second place. You probably can figure out where it goes from here. Miles, who do you have in second place? I actually have the Philadelphia Eagles in second place. And it's for one reason and one reason only. And it's because nobody has won the NFC East for two seasons in a row since Andy Reid's Eagles last did it in 2003 and 2004. And that was actually the end of a string of four straight division wins by Andy Reid's Eagles. And so when you are the king of the East, you get everybody's best shot. It's just something that seems to happen every single year. So based on history and based on, you know, everybody knowing that the Eagles are one of the great teams in the NFL, I think that somehow, some way, you know, they might take a step back. 
they do have two new coordinators too. We got to think about that, right? It's a new defense by Sean with Sean Desai. And yeah, they're keeping a lot of the same things, but it's going to be a new different guy calling it. And Brian Johnson is going to be the offensive coordinator. And he was the quarterback's coach got elevated that natural progression. And I don't think that means that the offense is going to take a step back, but I just think based on the history of that division and, you know, there are some changes Eagles falling into second place. Wow. Well, I've got the giants obviously in second place, uh, because I was wrestling between them and the Cowboys for third place, so I kind of tipped my hand there. I'm surprised <laughs> that you're going with the Eagles in second place. Hey, 20 years later, it's time for the same team to win the division in consecutive years. And the Eagles, I think, are far and away. I'm going to do both of mine here in the same thing, and you've basically done both of yours. Uh-huh. Eagles first place, Giants second place. Now, I remember when the NFL first instituted that seventh playoff team per conference. It dawned on me at one point, probably while sitting in this chair doing PFT Live, in theory, you could have a division that sends all four teams to the playoffs. Could Mm -hmm. happen. We've seen three teams in the days when there were only two wild cards. We've seen that happen. Well, now there's three wild cards. In theory, you could get all four in. The problem is, as they they cannibalize each other in that six-game home-and-home thing they each play, that makes it hard to compete with. You know, because you got to have a fourth-place team who's better than the second-place team in three other divisions. That's not going to be easy to do, but it could happen. And all four of these teams, wasn't there a period of time when they were all four above 500, like fairly deep into the season? That could happen yeah. this year. It, it could happen this year, but there are enough teams in different divisions where, you know, I think like Seattle, you know, in, in the NFC West, right? I, I think that they're still going to be a good team. You know, between the Lions and the Packers and um, the Vikings, like what two of those teams could make it? You know, the NFC South, I, I think that will probably only send one team. But, yeah, because of all of that, I, I, I think it will be tough for all four NFC East teams to make it. But I do think that the Cowboys are in a position to win this division. And, you know, I mean, you said that there's more pressure on Mike McCarthy. I think in some ways it might make him able to coach a little bit freer when he has his pulse directly on the offense and calling plays and, you know, being in line with Dak Prescott every single week. I think that that in some ways could help the Cowboys. Well, we'll see. It feels like an up or out year for Mike McCarthy in Dallas. And by up, I mean get back to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1995. You make a good point about Seattle, though. Between the 49ers and the Seahawks, I can't imagine one of them having a disastrous season and opening the door for a team like the Commanders if they're in fourth place in the NFC East to get to the postseason. The rest of the conference, who the hell knows what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen now. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live. The soft, unofficial deadline for a Jonathan Taylor deal arrives today, presumably by 4 p.m. Eastern. The Dolphins are the team that has been mentioned most significantly in connection with a potential trade. The Bears and the Broncos' name also have come up, Miles. And we talked about this yesterday. The Josh Jacobs deal could impact what Jonathan Taylor should want, what he does get, what he doesn't get. But supposedly today's the day we're going to find out. But when Jim Irsay is the one making the final decisions... That deadline could be extended and extended and extended some more all the way up until the trade deadline if they want. They could, but they have to make a decision whether or not to take him off the physically unable to perform list. And if they don't, he's going to be out for at least the first four weeks. 
Well, and this all gets back to whether or not he's injured or injured. Either way, we'll know by tomorrow morning whether he's a cult. We'll see you then. Have a great day. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.